Welcome to Bell Curve with Mary Scott, Rachel, and Liz, three friends, three Southern Bells, joining you, smart women, to discuss life, work, relationships, business, everything from the nerdy to the normal, the practical to the philosophical, the head to the heart. Thanks for joining us as we observe, analyze, and often deviate from the standard. Hello. And welcome to Bell Curve Podcast. I'm Mary Scott Hunter, and I am your host today. I am here with Rachel Breyers. Hello. And Liz Bashirs. Hi. My two awesome co-hosts today. And today is a really super special day because we have our very first guest on the show. Woohoo! Yay! <laughs> so excited. Uh, and we are in that, and our guest is Anna Claire Vollers. Welcome, Anna Claire. Hi, thanks for having me. We are talking about motherhood in Alabama. Alabama Media Group um, reporter Anna Claire Ballers, who is um, just going to do a great job with us today. She is writing a series of stories about the topic of motherhood. Anna Claire, um, we're just so excited to have you today. We learned about your project for AL.com when you emailed me to congratulate me on starting Bell Curve with uh, Liz and Rachel. And I think you and I probably have... I don't know, the longest pen relationship. It just seems like I've had you on when I've been on, on the radio here locally. And um, I've That's always right. loved your writing. And we've emailed back and forth. And um, I just uh, have always thought you've done a wonderful job with um, with your writing on AL.com. And you are also a podcast listener, I understand, right? Yes, voraciously. Well, you really did win our hearts when you said that the show made you feel, I can't remember your exact words, but it was something like, it made you feel like you're just sitting down with friends. Yes. Yeah. I felt like you guys sound like uh, my friends and I sound when we're, we're sitting around talking. So. Well, that is what we want our listeners to feel. We want them to feel like they're just sitting with friends and we model friendship. So uh, we were excited about your project and we, and you won our hearts with your comment about the show. And so we wanted to have you on. You sent us the first installment, and um, and we loved it. it. And appropriately, it begins with uh, childbearing. Although I understand that the series will not only be about birth; it'll be about all sorts of issues that affect mothers in Alabama. And I got to tell you, Anna Claire, and my co-hosts know this about me already, but. I do not cry. I don't cry at funerals. I didn't cry at Old Yeller. I never, I just, I'm not a crier, but there is something <laughs> about a baby being born that brings on the, the tears. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if y'all have watched that show Midwife on um, Netflix, but I, I cry every show. And I mean, it can be a happy situation, a sad situation, but childbirth just um, turns on the waterworks on Mary Scott. And uh, it's just the greatest everyday miracle. It really just is. And and Rachel knows that best. Rachel's, Rachel's done it five times. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's funny because, um, you know, thinking about what can bring, make you emotional this past weekend, I was with some good friends from college and they had children after me. And I got emotional seeing these dear friends of mine that I've had for 20 years, like their children. I just kept staring at them. I'm like, I see so much of my dear best friend and your little eyes where I see like one of my friend had a baby and I just could not get enough. And I was actually surprised how emotional that experience made me just the longevity of friendship and, you know, seeing those characteristics passed down to their children that brought on the, the, the tears to me for me. Uh, and that's part of it. But it was just a great 
I thought appropriately a great beginning. I mean, motherhood in Alabama starts logically with with childbirth. And and I think you became interested in this topic because of some aspects of childbirth that are challenging in Alabama. So let's start there. What kind of why did you get interested in motherhood in Alabama? Yeah, so um, a few months after I had my youngest, and he's four now, um, I really began thinking about what I wanted to report on. And uh, we had reporters doing important work around these big, serious topics like prisons and politics. But um, what I saw uh, very little of was reporting around um, kind of the uh, what I see as equally important and, and complex issues that affect women and children. And so, uh, obviously, one of those would be childbirth. And uh, as I was doing research, I found that there are women in our state and some of our more rural areas who have to drive two hours or even longer to reach a hospital that's got a labor and delivery department. Uh, because so many of our rural hospitals, as we know, have uh, been closing or had to scale back the services they offer uh, in the past few years. I think only 29 of our 67 counties have a hospital with obstetrical services, and um, nearly half of those are in our most populous counties. And so I know that that probably doesn't surprise a lot of uh, women in our rural areas, but I live 10 minutes from a hospital here in Huntsville, and uh, just the idea of having to deal with all that uncertainty and those potential complications surrounding pregnancy, but not being, you know, near the medical care you need. I just thought, why are not why are more people not talking about this? So there are women in rural Alabama who can't deliver a baby except at home or on the side of the road within yeah. two in within it, they are two hours from a labor and delivery unit. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of our, I, I'm thinking particularly about the Black Belt area is is one, um, some of the kind of west, southwest areas where, yeah, it, it could be that far uh, to get to a hospital. And just all of my babies have been C-sections, but I cannot imagine being in labor and knowing that you are that far away from, you know, the help that you need. And, and I just, I, I feel like this is a thing that more people should be talking about. And, and as you look at um, some of these other issues surrounding motherhood, uh, they are equally important and um, even life-threatening in some cases. And so I really wanted to uh, just start unpacking all of this and bringing more attention to it uh, so that I hope, you know, Alabamians can do what we do and uh, work towards solutions for those. Well, I want to, I have a personal story and it is, I live, you and I must live close because I live 10 minutes from the Huntsville Hospital too. <laughs> I, I'm not far away from the from Huntsville Women and Children. And I I. I really want to just say, I, I can't say enough thank yous to Huntsville Hospital because they saved the life of my youngest. My youngest was born at 32 weeks and his the placenta had detached and yeah. we had to get to the hospital and he was born really fast. And, you know, it's just, it's when the story gets real personal and I think about those women who would be in that situation where they had a detached, a baby with a deta partially detached placenta in our case because Caleb didn't go fully without oxygen. But he would have died. I mean, yeah. he would have he would have died. He wouldn't have made it if I if we had to drive two hours. I'm I'm convinced of that. Yeah, I, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, a couple months ago, and she had some uh, complications, and and I did too. And then she said something just kind of offhand that um you know everybody's got a story, uh, meaning that everybody's got a story about you know a childbirth <clears throat> if they're a mother that didn't go the way they planned maybe or that uh, had complications and. And that the, that just should not be. Um, that kind of hurts hurts my heart a little bit. And so um, the the whole issue is is, is kind of personal. The the first time I got pregnant, I was 
26 and uh, Jeff and I, my husband and I were so thrilled. And then we found out we were expecting twins. And, you know, that was just like, we're so excited. And, um, but, but there were complications and kind of the short version of that is uh, I had to deliver them early by emergency C-section at 28 weeks. So they're, you know, beautiful. And, and I was a mother for the first time. It was, it was very overwhelming. Um, but they were really sick. And, and our younger twin, Graham, um, he uh, lived for six days before he died from complications due to prematurity. And that was hard. And it's, still, it's, it's, it's a thing that I, I don't ever want to not acknowledge because his life is important. And, um, but still, sometimes it's hard to, to talk about it, you know. Um, so that was uh, obviously a, a big moment for our family. And, and, and then our, our older son, Will, he, uh, he was sick and was in the NICU for about two and a half months before he finally got to come home. And um, he is fantastic now. We just celebrated his ninth birthday a couple of weeks ago. And, um, <clears throat> and so I don't think in our case, I don't, I don't think some part of the system failed. I, I don't think anything could have uh, prevented uh, Graham's death, but I, um, I, I wanted to talk about it in relation to this project because I, I think it gets at why I'm so passionate about this issue and, um, you know, his life and being a mom to my other boys makes me, uh, you know, who I am today, obviously. And I think it makes me a better reporter for it. Oh, my Caleb, mm-hmm. my youngest was in that NICU for two and a half weeks. He was born at 32 weeks and, that is so hard, Anna Claire. We we were in there the first night, and there was a baby that was in the next layette, and the next day we came back and the baby was gone. And yeah. and I asked, and they don't they don't you know they can't tell you what the details are, but they just told me he was gone and sure. he didn't make it, and that is so hard. Yeah, it it does change you. I feel like um, I. I was very appreciative of kind of the parents who had also gone through this, at least I know in, in our hospital, we were at Huntsville hospital. Um, I was mentored, if you could call it that a little bit by um, parents who had also gone through uh, something similar. Um, Amy George uh, is one, you know, very kind of high profile example. And um, I just, some of the women, some of the mothers who had been through something like this helped me. And I think have in turn helped, um, launch programs that are for grieving families and things that, you know, we may not have even had back in 2010 when I, when I had my boys. And so a good thing that came out of it was seeing kind of all the, the help and support in the ways that other moms uh, can lift each other up who've been through something similar. Well, the story is personal. I mean, there's hardly anything that's more personal than Rachel. How often have you told the story of your, of your own children's birth to your children? They love hearing that story. They do. They love it. They like any detail about their childhood. And, you know, as you're speaking, I'm thinking, gosh, Huntsville Hospital for all of us, because I have a personal story as well, where my youngest, who's five years old now, um, I had one of those DVTs, like the deep vein thrombosis during my pregnancy. And it went from my ankle all the way up to my stomach. It was this massive, Mm. massive blood clot. And then at the same time, I had a full placenta previa. So I was giving myself shots for blood thinner at the same time that I was at risk for a hemorrhage. And so I was supposed to be on bed rest. But as we all know, when you have young children, you know, you get up. And I remember I was like, I need need to my mom was helping, but I I was like, I need to help and I need to cook. And so I kind (laughs) of got up and I just found myself standing in the middle of my kitchen starting to hemorrhage. And I just like grabbed 
every I probably should have called an ambulance. I just grabbed things. My doctor had already warned me if this happens, get to the hospital as fast as you can. And I was able to get to Huntsville Hospital in, you know, 15, 20 minutes, pulled in, and I ended up staying there for six weeks. Just at, you know, really in such fear that at any moment my baby was going to die, I was going to die. It was such a big part of my life. And so when I look at him, I'm like, one day I'm going to tell you <laughs> that your, your life really was, really was at risk. But, all, you know, having those resources, being able to get to the hospital, even now we live, you know, five minutes from Madison Hospital. And I think all the time, you know, I'm able to just grab my kids. We, we are at the emergency room so very often. <laughs> Like, it's kind of ridiculous, but, you know, my, my, even my daughter, she had a moment this, um, this past Christmas where she had croup, you know, just that virus that makes your throat kind of close. And she just stood up in bed gasping for air. Mm. And it was the scariest thing because she really couldn't breathe. And again, we just grabbed her, got in the car. Five minutes later, we were in the, in the emergency room. So this really does hit home. Y'all really know how to put a damper on the baby fever over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Liz. So I am I am 29 um, as of the recording of this podcast, and I don't have kids yet. But that's something that's in the relatively near future. And, you know, I when we moved to a different part of Birmingham, I changed uh, OBGYNs partially because my new one would be 10 minutes away instead of 15 minutes away. <laughs> that's that's just yeah, a five-minute time difference. But like Mary Scott said, like Rachel said, um, that's something that could make all the difference in the world when it comes to something that can be as dangerous and traumatic as childbirth. Now, Anna Claire, one of the questions I have is about midwifery and how that might change the um, landscape of, of childbirth in Alabama. And in your research and in your writing and you're talking to people, is that something, and it's relatively new in Alabama, so is that something that Alabama mothers are, are going to, is that a resource they're going to take advantage of? And is, is that a, a good alternative, not only for women in, you know, for, for middle-class white women in, in cities, is that something that can be a resource for women across Alabama? Yeah, so we, um, as you all may know, uh, Alabama legalized uh what we might call home birth midwives, and they have finally started licensing them. So that is now an option for uh, women in Alabama. And I think for uh, women who live further away from a hospital and who meet uh, all the guidelines, so they are uh, low-risk moms, there are no, no complications, that kind of thing, that may be a really good uh, option for them. And I believe we've got maybe eight to 10 midwives at this point uh, licensed in the state. I'm sure there'll be more. But, you know, for, for a lot of women, that may not be an option. They don't want to give birth at home uh, and would rather uh, do that in a hospital or they may uh, have some kind of complications. And for the record, new. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but some women love to do it and want to do it and right. you know, I support sure. them in that but um, I don't know I think um, epidurals are a, are right, right. a wonderful thing um, but I, I do think uh, so nurse midwives which uh, help you deliver in hospitals that's also an option uh, that we've had in Alabama but not really taken advantage of and I think there's more and more of a um, a request from mothers for somebody like that to attend their births. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I just, I'm kind of all for more options uh, for moms right. here. I think the more uh, acts we, we increase access to care, uh, the better outcomes that we're going to get as long as we do it smart. And, and I think they have so far. So the whole birthing center concept where it's, it's not a hospital, it's a birthing center 
Right. Midwives are there. Doctors are available for complications. The hospital is maybe nearby or something, you know, along those lines. So maybe not a home birth, but not exactly a hospital birth either. Right. Yeah. We don't have those in, in, in Alabama, but they have them uh, in a lot of other states. And, and I think a lot of times, you know, those are connected in some way to a hospital so that you would have that option if something went wrong, but you're still in kind of more of a home-like setting with, you know, midwives who will sit with you and, 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 and talk with you and all of that. So, yeah, I would love uh, to see some more of those uh, gain traction. Like I said, you know, the, the, more, the more care we have, the better. Claire, I'm really curious, just, I'm sure you talked to just so many women. What are some of the surprising things that you learned as you've been doing your reporting? Yeah, um, when I was talking to uh, women, particularly about childbirth for my first set of stories, uh, which is about maternal mortality, so the, the things that can um, can kill you in childbirth or, or pregnancy or result in kind of um, catastrophic problems, a lot of, the, what really surprised me was the number of women I talked to who said, they uh, experienced this life-threatening issue in pregnancy or childbirth that they had never heard of. Mm-hmm. And just the idea that for for whatever reason, probably for a number of reasons, we don't know what, um, you know, what is out there that could threaten our lives, threaten our baby's lives. I, I was just, I was very surprised by that. Um, people who had things like HELP syndrome, which is uh, blood pressure problem, you know, just problems like that, placenta, uh, previa, those kind of issues that some people don't know about and um, maybe are not close enough to specialists who can help them with, uh, that just seemed like a, a real red flag to me. And and some of these women are women who are in our major cities. It's not just uh, women who may live kind of out in the country. Let's talk about like some of the, the hard facts you found. Like, and I know you you mentioned to us when we were off the air that it's that some of the statistics are tough because things go unreported. Um, yes. You know the 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 places where the, where this kind of information would be stored maybe you know isn't complete. So talk to us about that. Some of the some of the the brass tacks, the details. Yeah. So you know we all know that. Um, in Alabama, a lot of the times we seem to be at or near the bottom um, on health-related uh, rankings. And and so when I looked at the number of women who died in Alabama uh, from pregnancy or childbirth-related issues, the number was actually, we don't have a high rate of maternal mortality. I think in 2017 uh, was our highest so far with uh, 41 women who died, mm-hmm. which, you know, of course, 41 women, too many. Um, of course it is, yes. But um, but when I was looking at it, I talked to experts uh, at the CDC and um, some uh, very smart uh doctors at UAB, and our numbers are actually kind of unreliable. So in our state so far, we don't count women or research uh, these deaths in the way that a lot of other states do. And so um, when you say 41 women, well, that that could be underreporting. It could be overreporting potentially. So um, the gold standard kind of for figuring out how many women are dying, because you want to know how many women are dying or nearly dying in childbirth and pregnancy so that you can prevent it, right? And um, the the gold standard for doing that is this thing. It's got a boring name, so <laughs> bear with me. It's called a, a Maternal Mortality Review Committee. And so it's basically a group of people who get all the records on every woman who potentially died uh, related to pregnancy or childbirth, and they research all of it, and they come up with uh, an exact reason why that woman died and circumstances surrounding it. And they produce these reports that help states figure out, you know, where, where they maybe need to direct funding if there are certain uh, 
preventable um, deaths that, you know, ways they could be preventing those. And so anyway, so Alabama did not have one. But I was very excited to find out that a few months ago, about 50 people, these are doctors and nurses and social workers and uh, pathologists and uh, public health officials got together in Alabama and we're like, you know what, we need a review committee like this. And so Outstanding. they met. Yeah, I, I was just so, so impressed. And it's kind of led by, um, there's a uh, public health official at uh, Department of Public Health called Dr. Grace Thomas, and she's an OBGYN in Montgomery. She's kind of uh, helping to spearhead this effort. And these are just some fantastic and very, very smart people. They're doing all of this on a volunteer basis. They do not get paid. Um, but they have started already uh, looking into all the deaths from I believe 2017 uh, is the year that they're starting with. And I, I, I'm so glad this is happening. I, I just, it, it was very impressive to me and I, I cannot wait to find out what they learn and um, see what recommendations they make about how we can prevent these deaths from happening. It seems like that would be a good accountability measure as well. I mean, if you were a doctor, if you were a hospital and you knew Absolutely. that there was a committee that was going to be looking into each and every one of those deaths, it would just up mm-hmm. the... It would up the the seriousness of what it was Absolutely. That you were about to do. Yeah, uh, some of the there's some other states who have been doing this for a few years. Texas, uh, Georgia, and when they started doing this, um, <clears throat> Tennessee, I think too. When they started doing this, they found at least half, and in some cases, like seventy percent of the deaths were preventable. There were things wow. that could have been done, you mm. know. Right. From and, and so from thirty of these, standpoint. thirty of those forty-one reported in Alabama. Could have, Had could something have been a little yeah. different, they could yeah, have been possibly. Yeah, yeah, possibly. And, and we should all want to know what that is. Whether it's a different protocol at the hospital, whether it's more education for the mom, whether I, I don't know, it could be any number of things or maybe several mm-hmm. things. Um, but yeah, just the idea that we weren't looking before um, was was not okay. But but now we are. Uh, I'm I'm really glad to be able to uh, report that and um, tell people that this is happening. And I hope, I, I think a committee like this deserves, um, you know, all the funding that it needs. And so I hope as they're getting off the ground that they get the the kind of resources they need to do a great job with this. So I want to, we've talked a ton about childbirth and that is obviously the core of <laughs> mothering and that's where it begins. And, uh, but there's other thorny, you know, issues that are out there that I know you're going to tackle in your series. So give us a sense of what those are. Yeah. Uh, so like, like you said, I think, um, I'll be covering more than childbirth. That's where I'm starting at. But I also, uh, with this series uh, over the next several months, probably through the end of the year, uh, we'll be looking at um, both access to health care. I want to look at uh, insurance related to women and children, and particularly, you know, Medicaid covers more than half of all of our births. And um, so kind of how that that plays a role in, in the kind of um, care that mothers get. But I also want to look at uh, issues in the workplace. I know um, most mothers in Alabama statistically uh, are in the workforce and not everybody uh, is lucky enough to work for a place that is either willing or able to accommodate for the needs of mothers, whether that is a more flexible schedule so they can take a kid to the doctor, whether that is uh, making a space or time for them to pump breast milk when they get back to work, whether it's even holding their job uh, long mm. enough for them to uh, be able to take some weeks off with their with their children. I mean, we all we all heard the statistics. Uh, uh, the U.S. is, I think, the only developed country that doesn't have paid maternity leave or uh, 
paternity leave. So uh, all those issues are are a really big deal. Like once you've once you've had the baby and and everybody's fine, you know, you still got to provide for your family. And I've talked to a lot of moms where that was not always uh, an easy transition back into the workforce. I don't think there's a mom alive that will tell you that there's nothing easy about that and everything is hard about it. I mean, it's as a woman who has worked through pregnancies and, you know, wore a uniform in pregnancy. I was still in the military for some of my, you know, my first pregnancy um, and my second, actually. But I it, it is there's nothing easy about balancing uh, work and motherhood and work and pregnancy. Yeah, Anna Claire, I'm super curious, and I know a lot of our listeners read read your work. But um, you know, you're a mother, you're a working mother. Can you kind of give us a peek behind you know your life? Tell us what it's like to be a working mother and how you navigated that. It is really hard, and and I'll say um, the only way I've done it is uh, by having a, a tribe around me to uh, to make this work. Uh, my husband's fantastic. He he is great and helpful in every way. Um, and then I, I live near both my parents and my in-laws. And so my mother and my mother-in-law uh, come and help us uh, take care of the kids during the day. My my kids are four, six, and my oldest just turned nine. And um, it is honestly all... Yes, tell us the um, honest, y'all. That's, that's, that's my favorite honest, phrase. Honestly, yeah, y'all. No. Right now I'm talking to you in my closet and my my husband is getting my kids ready for camp. Um, but um, I, I feel like, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like, you know, most days I'm either a really good mom and kind of a mediocre worker, reporter, person at my job, or I am just kicking butt at being a reporter and I am a mediocre mom that day. <laughs> so it's just, I, it's hard to say you can, I don't think you can do it all every day. So we just have to balance the best we can. I think we could do a whole series on the phenomenon of mommy guilt in the 21st oh century my gosh, yes. and how, I, uh, like I mentioned before, I'm not a mom yet, but so many of my friends are, so I have uh, most of my sisters are sisters and sisters-in-law are, and just seeing the little things that make them hang their heads in shame for for no good reason, for no real reason. But there is this this culture of you have to do it all and you have to do it all perfectly all the time. And and I think we internalize that so much. Uh, and like you just said, you you kind of feel like you you have to give in one place to to be able to succeed in the other. And I just wish that wasn't the case. So what are some ways that we can be resources to to mothers, not just Alabama mothers, but to um, to mothers across the country? I, I think for me, at least um, the idea that we make uh, we help make workplaces more more flexible and friendly to parents. And I don't mean just to mothers, but to fathers, too, or anybody who's taking care of kids. Um, I feel very lucky to work for a place where if I need to go get my kid from school because they're barfing, you know, I can do that or um, I can do some work at night if I need to, to make up for the fact that I, you know, went and volunteered at their school during the day. Um, that kind of flexibility just means everything to me. And I, I would love if, um, and I think more and more employers are doing this, but if we just get more and more folks on board, because moms are important resources to have, like you do not want to lose us. So making it possible for us to do our jobs well and to be uh, mothers uh, well when we need to be, then I think that would do the most toward, um, well, toward you, retaining us. You think of it as a practical matter. We in the United States of America are crying out for a workforce. We desperately need more skilled professionals, skilled technicians. We desperately need more. Where are you going to find them if you if you are promoting 
a balance of motherhood and work. You're you are enticing more skilled people into your workforce. It's really it's not a liberal solution. It's not a politically acceptable solution. It's a practical solution. And Anna Claire, you just hit on something that I I believe in really really strongly when you talked about paternity leave and and uh, extending some of those benefits to men. I've read a lot of really interesting research about how everybody is, you know, when people are actually take their, their, their family leave, that protects women too, because all of a sudden it's not, the employers aren't bearing the cost just on women, it's on everybody. And so that really evens the playing field for every family, whether you're taking that family leave because you are physically having a baby, because you're adopting a child, because you have an elderly parent who needs um, who needs your care for a little while. So when everybody is offered and uses that benefit, that's when you really even the, even the playing field. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I think that, um, that strengthens families uh, when everybody's able to take the time that they need and that strengthens our communities. So Anna Claire, our our I know that our I've been I've been calling our our community of listeners, our bell curve community curvies. My my co host may uh nix me on that later, but the we haven't had a formal there, vote on this. <laughs> What's that? So we haven't had a formal vote on this. No, sorry, we haven't had a vote on this, but I, it just came out. So, so for our curvies out there, um, our, our listeners out there, tell us where they can read your series. How can they connect with you? If they have inputs that they want to make about subjects for you to about motherhood in Alabama or motherhood in general that they want you to take up, where can they connect with you? How how does that work? They are always welcome to email me. Uh, at avollers, A-V-O-L-L-E-R-S at al.com. I would love to hear from people uh, questions or comments about that. But they can also, uh, if they'll like the Reckon by al.com Facebook page, that's where they'll be posting all of my stories when they when they drop. And, um, you know, you can comment and, and, and uh, ask questions there, and I'll be in the comments there um, answering as much as I can. And we've also started a, uh, a Facebook group called Reckon Women, and um, it's for anybody, including men, uh, who want to work for um, positive change, who want to discuss uh, issues that uh, particularly affect women in our state. So, and this is this is not a place uh, with a particular political bent. You know, we're not going to try to tell you how things should be fixed. We just want to arm everybody with the information they need to advocate for the things that they care about. And um, so we're there as a resource and as a way to, you know, connect people. Maybe you find uh, a tribe of women on there who are really into, um, you know, workplace solutions or they're very much into rural health care or, or whatever issue it is that um, that you're really passionate about. I hope people connect there. And I want to say just really quick, I mean, you write for AL.com and, and we've been talking a lot about motherhood and childbirth in Alabama, but a thing I want to say to our listeners outside of Alabama, because I've seen the demographics and we do have some, <laughs> is that you know, AL.com does such incredible investigative reporting and have won you know, Pulitzer, you know, your writers have won Pulitzer Prizes and all kinds of all kinds of awards for what the work you do. And so if if you do happen to live outside of Alabama and are listening to this right now, please go ahead and take a minute to um, to read Anna Claire's writing and to to read about this subject because it's not something that just affects mothers in Alabama. It, it's something that you'll find you'll get some good information out no matter where you live. 
It's definitely a universal issue. It's not just an Alabama issue. And um, and Anna Claire, I know because I follow you, you also have an active Twitter account, you yourself. And some people might just want to connect directly with you through Twitter. So how do they do that? Yes, I um, I love Twitter a little too much. <laughs> but I... <laughs> My handle is at ACVollers, uh, A-C-V-O-L-L-E-R-S. And uh, yeah, please connect with me there. I keep my messages open most of the time, so you can um, drop me a line there. And um, yeah, love to connect with you there also. Well, I want to say just for me that my hope for this series that you're working on is that it, it will raise awareness. And every time, you know, here at, here at Bell Curve or the wonderful work that you're doing, Anna Claire, or, you know, whoever is out there pushing issues along every time we just push it up, we push it to the forefront and we, we get good information out there. You know, we move things along in a positive way. And I just want to say thank you to you, Anna Claire, and thank you to Alabama media group, because this is important. It's important for, for, for our listeners. It's important for women in general. It's just important, important for families. Absolutely. Um, so uh, the series is going to run for, you know, through 2019. Very excited about it. Please, please um, connect with Anna Claire and follow the story and connect with us. Uh, connect with Bell Curve. Uh, that's Bell with an E, like Southern Bell. You can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest. You can subscribe to Bell Curve on Apple Podcast, Android, or wherever you get your podcast. Please leave us a review and we'll see you next time. 